Oh, Lord, we do cry to you this day and sing great is thy faithfulness that you have provided our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus, that you have provided salvation that is permanent and eternal, that you have provided peace for all who should call upon the name of the Lord and receive your grace and forgiveness. And you have provided purpose to bring you glory, to see the kingdom of God literally ushered in through his people, through those who call him Savior. This morning, we say thank you. And Lord, I pray a blessing for those who this is a day of struggle. This is a season of difficulty. Lord, I pray a blessing upon them right now. God, for those who are searching and seeking your heart, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would draw them by the power of your spirit this day. And for those who just need hope, God, would you minister hope to them? Would you speak to them and touch their hearts, renew their strength, and let them know that you are there? As we sing to you and as we pray to you, great is thy faithfulness, O Lord our Father. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're in the book of Second Samuel chapter 7. And in Second Samuel chapter 7, David has come to that place where he is in full authority, where he is the king of all the nation, where it is a time of national ecstasy. The enemies have been conquered. The threats have been alleviated for the most part. The economy is being restored. The people believe and have hope. It is a great time to be king And David is regarded as a great king. And David is here and he is in a time where God, where he is ready to be used by God and where God is going to bless him beyond what he could have ever imagined. It is truly a great time for God's people at this moment in history. It's a time where we will see that God is going to promise a permanent kingdom, a permanent reign, a permanent throne. And this is a concept that is almost beyond the people's imagination. The truth of it is, is that's where we are today. We live in an economy that is driven by this mindset that nothing is permanent. Matter of fact, our economy, our advertising and marketing concept is this. Leverage the fact that nothing is permanent. Leverage the fact that whatever home you live in, you're certainly going to need to move. You're going to need to upgrade. You're going to need to change. Whatever car you're driving, it is not going to be enough in the future. You deserve more. You need more. It's going to break down. It's not permanent. Whatever you look like today is going to change unless you buy our products and try to lengthen that as much as possible. Whatever health you have, that's going to be fading away as well. And so we have a booming business called insurance. And you have to have it. 
You need it for your health because that is certainly going to go to pot no matter what you do. So you need this policy. You need these things, I tell you. And our economy is leveraged on that fact, on making you to believe in it. And for the most part, it's true, by the way, making you believe that it's not going to last and you need something. Let me tell you, you're, you need another phone right now. You need another phone because the phone you have, it's obsolete. Yeah, I mean, we've got phones now that not only can you talk on them, not only can you take pictures on them, not only can you text on them and email them, but now you can see each other while you talk. And I'm thinking, why would I want to do that? I don't want you to see me when I'm talking to you because you won't like what you might see. But wait, I gotta have that. And not only I gotta have it, my wife has to have my children so that I can see them and they can see me. I had a guy trying to say, I'm thinking, I didn't have a hard time. I do not want that feature on my phone. Okay? But that's the economy, that's the world that we live in. You know, I, I have a theory about tattoos, which there's a craze. I mean, if you watch any kind of professional sports or anything, I mean, everybody's got tattoos now. It's, it's a big deal, obviously, and people do it to, to be cool or a symbol of their of a loved one or, or even religion or whatever it is, uh, people, people get those all the time now. But, you know, I, I think about it. I was talking to a friend of mine. Why do people really get tattoos? I mean, why do they really get them? You know why I think, and I, I think most people don't know this, but I think subconsciously it's the desire to have something permanent. I mean, I get that and it's permanent. I have that marking. I have that image. And it either marks a time in my life that I'll never forget. Or it's something permanent, something I can control, and it's permanent. We desire that in our innermost being. We desire something permanent, something that will last, something that will not change, something that's secure that I can have forever. That's what we desire. And that's exactly what God is going to promise right here. It's called the Davidic covenant, that there's a promise given that through the throne, through the lineage of David, to the line of David that permanently there will be one who rules upon the throne. There will be one who will usher in a permanent kingdom that is forever and is eternal. And so that's what we're going to read about. And it would have been mind-boggling at that time and, and even for us today. It's difficult for us to understand. You see, this whole concept of David is very important. The gospel writers thought enough of it that they would literally in the first chapter, many of them would indicate and, and um, communicate, look, um, David, this Messiah, he's from the line of David. He's from the Davidic throne. He's from the Davidic lineage. We see it in Matthew 1.1, a recording of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of of David in Luke 1:69 he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David the messiah would come from the house of David if you have your bibles for just one moment turn with me to Luke chapter 1 Luke chapter 1 verse 32 and 33 Luke chapter 1 verse 32 and verse 33, and I'm going to begin reading actually in verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to the son and you are to give him the name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and the kingdom will never end. This was the understanding that the prophets had, that the people had. And here's where it begins. Here's where the covenant comes from. I'm going to read from the message today, which is Eugene Peterson's version. Um, and uh, Eugene Peterson, in, in my opinion, is a first-rate scholar and linguist. Uh, great guy who has um, just really had an impact on my life through his writings and even individually. Uh, but I'm going to read uh, more of a paraphrased version because I think it's more understandable in this particular instance for us to understand. And so uh, I want you to grasp the concept. So in the book of uh, second, excuse me, in the book of second Samuel, chapter seven, beginning with the first verse, the Bible says before long, the king made himself at home and God gave him peace from all his enemies. Speaking of David here. And then one day, King David said to Nathan, the prophet, look at this. Here I am comfortable in a luxurious house of cedar. And the chest of God, or the Ark of the Covenant, sits in a plain tent. So what's occurring here? Well, David has secured the throne. The people overwhelmingly are in favor of David and what David is doing. It is a happy time. The enemies are at bay. It is a great time in the nation of Israel. And David looks over and he's now established uh, himself economically. He's, he's basically wealthy. And he, he looks over and he recognizes, you know, I'm living in a house of cedar, which was the nicest home you could live in. I mean, it was the most expensive. It was the nicest. It was beautiful. It was large. It smelled good. I mean, it, it's the bomb. It's Beverly Hills. It's the Clampett house. OK, that's where David's living. OK, and David looks over and the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the place of primary worship. It's still in a tent. Matter of fact, it's been in a tent a really, really long time, all throughout the desert years and then through the time. So there, there's a tent over here. It's old. It's musty. It probably has patches on it. I'm living in a house of cedar. It, it's the equivalency if um, you if our church was just dilapidated, falling apart. You know, there's holes in the roof and everything's falling apart. And it's right here in this neighborhood, right next to Bridalwood. OK, you know, what I mean, and, and in between Wellington, we'd look at it and go, you know, we need to do something for that church there. You know, and we need to, like, build that thing up a little bit. This is this is just not even good. This makes us look bad, uh, you know, kind of mentality. And David looks at that and he thinks, you know, I want to build a house for God. I want to build a temple, a, a permanent fixture for God. Now, historically, what would happen typically when a powerful emperor or king or pharaoh would come to the throne, uh, if once he was really successful and everything was economically tied up, it was very typical for him to build a temple or some kind of house of worship for his God. It, it was a politically correct thing to do, actually. It really indicated, look, this nation is established and it's being blessed by this particular God. This God has given, ushered the blessing upon this people and upon this king. And so it was very common. Uh, you know, King Tutmos did that uh, or the Pharaoh did. And when he did that, uh, actually for the, the God Amun Re, uh, he great, built this glorious temple. And, um, you know, and then, in matter of fact, if you go back and read historically, uh, he made this statement that you may rule King Tut forever and ever, that your reign may be eternal. Sound familiar? I mean, this was a very common practice in that day. 
And so David sees what the other nations are doing. He sees what the other kings are doing. And he was thinking, I don't want them to think less of our God. I want them to understand. And Eugene Peterson makes this insight. He says, and God basically is going to tell him no right now. Now is not the time. Peterson's comment and commentary on this is that perhaps David was coming dangerously close to the line of equating his glory with the glory of God and thinking that he was responsible and control of the glory of God. Whatever the fact, nevertheless, this is where David is, and these are David's thoughts. And so he goes and he tells his pastor, so to speak, his prophet Nathan, which is the primary mechanism from which God speaks, is through the prophets. They don't have Bibles at this point. New Testament has not been written, really, outside the Torah. Uh, none of the, the Bible has been written at this point. And so... Primarily, God would speak through prophets, and the prophet here is Nathan. So he goes to Nathan and he tells him, here's what I want to do. I want to build a house for God. I want to build a temple for God. And Nathan says, sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, I mean, Nathan thinks, you know, this, this looks good. I don't see why God would not want that. But nevertheless, apparently he goes back and prays, and God speaks to him that night. And this is what God says to Nathan to tell the king, to tell David. Um, but that night, the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is God's word on the matter. You're going to build a house for me to live in. Why haven't I lived in a house from the time I brought the children up out of uh, out of Egypt from this day until now? All that time I've moved about with nothing but a tent. And in all my travels with Israel, did I ever say to any of the leaders, I command I commanded to shepherd Israel, why have you built me a house of cedar? Basically, God is saying, you know what? I've always been in the midst of the people. You see, the other gods have been served. They've been up there or out there somewhere, or they have some place that you have to go to. But see, I am the God that is with my people. It's the Manuel principle, God with us. I am to the center of life. I am with the people. And that's the God that I am. I'm like no other God. And so I have not commanded you to do that. I have been in the desert with my people. I have wandered through. I've been in Egypt. I have wandered through the land with my people. I am always with my people. And he says this. So here is what you are to tell my servant David. The God of the angel armies has this word for you. I took you from the pasture tagging along after sheep and made you a prince over my people of Israel. You see the two concepts that are occurring here. Number one. We're talking about a God who's with his people, a God who is in the midst of his people, who wants to be with his people. And then number two, we'll see the concept here, the principle of grace. You see, David was a boy who was simply a shepherd, probably about as low on the totem pole uh, from a vocational sense as anyone could go. It didn't take a lot of training, didn't take a lot of intelligence, didn't take a lot of insight. Go watch the sheep. And so that's exactly what David's been doing. The Bible literally says here, David, when I chose you, you were following after sheep. You were simply wandering throughout the land, following the sheep, watching over sheep. You were in a pasture, tagging along after sheep. And I was with you everywhere you went. And he comes upon the throne and I've mowed your enemies down before you. And now I'm making you famous. To be ranked with the great names on earth. 
And I'm going to set aside a place for my people, Israel, and plant them there so that they'll have their own home and not be knocked around anymore. Nor will evil men afflict you as they always have. Even during the days I set judges over my people in Israel. Finally, I'm going to give you peace from all your enemies. So I'm, I'm with you and I'm going to continue to be with you. I have enacted grace. I have imparted grace to you. And I am giving you peace. And furthermore, God has this message for you. God himself will build you a house. David, you want to build a house for me? Let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to build you a house. Now, not a literal house as we may be thinking of, but I'm going to build a dynasty. I'm going to build a permanent spiritual home, a spiritual house. Furthermore, God says this, when your life is complete, and you're buried with your ancestors, then I'll raise up your child, your own flesh and blood, to succeed you, and I'll firmly establish his rule. He will build a house to honor me, and I guarantee his kingdom's rule permanently. Now, when we look at prophecy, particularly in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, you will typically see prophecy a lot of times uh, being given like this. There will be an immediate understanding. There will be an immediate fulfillment of that prophecy. But then it's also a foreshadowing of a greater principle, of a greater prophecy which is to come, of a greater purpose which is for to come. We've talked about foreshadowing before in typologies. This is what it means today, but then it has a larger meaning for the future. So it's not an if, and, or but. And matter of fact, when you look at these passages, what you'll see the writer doing is jumping back and forth to understanding it today in the immediate future and then the long time, the eternal future or the long forecasted future. OK, so that's exactly what's occurring here as we read this prophecy. And this is, in fact, the Davidic covenant. This is the promise that is being made. God has been dwelling with his people. He's been the Emmanuel. He's extended grace. And now he's making a promise, an eternal promise that is being given to his people here. And this is what he says. He says, look, I'm going to guarantee that your son will come into rule and into authority. But then he says, and he will build a house and to honor me, and I guarantee his kingdom's rule permanently. Now, there you see, you see him jumping to, what does that mean? It means permanently that the rule of the line of David, the divinic kingship, will be permanent. And let's continue on here so we understand that a little better. I'll be a father to him. Now he goes back to Solomon, and he'll be a son to me. When he does wrong, I'll discipline, as we know Solomon will, the usual ways and the pitfalls and the obstacles of the mortal life. But I will re never remove my gracious love for him as I had removed it from Saul, who preceded you and whom I certainly did remove. Your family and your kingdom are permanently, there's that word again, permanently secured. I am keeping my eye on them and then the royal throne will always be there. I am establishing a permanent throne, a permanent kingdom through you, through your line, through your lineage. It's a beautiful picture. And this would have just been uh, unfathomable to the people of that day. You know, it's like Jadensi here. She was uh, in Haiti uh, without family. She was living in an orphanage there and uh, was being given two meals a day, basically. And she had her friends. And then there's the earthquake. 
She doesn't have much to begin with. But then there's the earthquake and the and here she is basically lost, basically without family and basically without hope in a lot of ways. What she needed was salvation. She needed someone from the outside to say, I will adopt you. I want you. See, that's the beauty of that story. The beauty of that story is that it's true and of what occurs. That I, there's somebody out there who wants you and who will adopt you, whom you become a part of their family permanently. And you are permanently established in relationship and commitment. It's a beautiful thing. That's exactly what God is doing. He's saying, look, I want to permanently make you my people. I want to permanently offer you a kingdom that will come, that will be eternal. And this is fulfilled, how? Through the person of Jesus Christ. Through the Yeshua HaMasiah, Jesus the Messiah. The one of it was foretold, as we read the Scriptures earlier, that would be from the line of David, would fulfill this covenant, who would establish a kingdom that is eternal, that is permanent, that is forever. You see, that's what we're looking for. We are looking, all of us innately, have this desire for something permanent that cannot change. So what is it that God Almighty has offered through the person of Jesus Christ to us this day? What is it? Well, He's first of all, through the person of Jesus Christ, through the Messiah, through the Davidic covenant, through the fulfillment of this prophecy, As Jesus has come, God in the flesh, the Emmanuel principle, to dwell with people, to offer grace and salvation and hope to all who would receive it. What is that? First of all, he's offered peace. Now, what do we mean when we say peace? It's kind of peaceful. The house is quiet. The kids are gone. That's not what he's talking about. Okay, I'm not fighting with my spouse. That's not what he's talking about. Peace with God. You see. To have peace with God means I don't have to wonder or know where I stand with God. That God has accepted me and I am forgiven through Jesus who offers the salvation. I am at peace with God. He is not against me. He is for me. He has offered salvation. Not only peace, but security. Security, I don't have to wonder, am I good enough? Will I lose it? Will God reject me? Is there something else I need to do? Is there somewhere else I need to go? What if What if this? What if that? When I trust Jesus, when I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and I receive Him by grace as Lord of my life, I am secured permanently into His family. I am adopted into His family. Someone from the outside has done what I could not do for myself and has adopted me and given me hope and life and salvation. And I simply have to receive it. That's what God has done for us. And more than that, and even beyond that, He has given me a purpose. He has, first of all, given me peace with God. Secondly, He has given me security of salvation. And thirdly, He has given me purpose. What purpose is that? That I am to glorify God and seek to, to usher in the kingdom of God to this earth. You see... When life started, there was a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and who lived in paradise where all was perfect, where all was right. There was no war. There was no disease. There was no lack of food. There wasn't a problem with clean water. Everything was as it should be. 
But through sin, all these things have entered in and we must deal with the the, um, atrocities of life because it entered in through sin. And what God is saying, what he says when he said, I want to see my kingdom come, is that through my people, yes, God is going to come back one day. But right now, we are to be a part, an active participant in seeing the kingdom of God ushered in. What does that mean? That means that we are to help those who don't have food. We are to help those who don't have water. Jesus said, if you've done it in the least of these, you've done it into me. So when we do meals to Haiti, we are doing it to see the kingdom of God come here to the earth. Okay? It is the light of Jesus being ushered in to mankind. So that the hope and the salvation of Jesus might be clearly seen. So when we provide clean water in Africa and different parts of the world, that's why we do it. When we at the schools that we work with here in other organizations, CCA and the Salvation Army, uh, through our own benevolence program, it is with the understanding that we are to bring the kingdom of God, that we are trying to restore the way it was meant to be for mankind through the love and the provisions of Jesus Christ. It is the hope of mankind that they might see that there is a permanent salvation, a permanent Savior who longs to permanently engraft them into the kingdom by their receiving of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what it looks like. That is our purpose. And that's why we're still here. That's what it's all about. So, when I think about that, what are the things, I was thinking about this this week, What are the things that I can give to my children that are permanent? What can I permanently, what can I give them? I mean, you know, here it is that time of year where we buy toys and, you know, last year's toys. Like I'm going through the garage going, what, what, what do we have all this junk for? You know, my son said, Daddy, if you'll just buy me this, I'll never want another toy again. I used to say that last year. I mean, it's like, you know, and then two weeks later you want this and that. Now he wants a phone. I mean, where, where does this all end? You know, kind of deal. And, and it's that thought, you know, if I can just get this, and, and, and really, and then we get older, and like I said, like we buy cars and boats and whatever, and we think, if I could just get this boat, then I'll be so happy. If I could get this house, I'll be happy. And we're just like the kids. Buy me this, and I'll be happy. No, you won't. In another year, you'll think, oh, we should have got that luxury. We should have got that on our car. We should have got that in our house. We should have bought that. We should have got a bigger lot. Whatever. We should have bought a smaller house, now that I think about it. You know, and, and whatever it is. I mean, that, that's where we go. We're just like the kids. We're still in that same mindset. So what is it that we can give? Permanently. Well, first of all, I can tell my children, first of all, look, I am committed to you as if I will always be your father. No matter what, I will always be your father and I will always love you. Even when I die, I will still be your father. And you will know that. You will know that I loved you and was committed to you. Okay, that's one of the things I want my son. I want to give that gift to him. I want to give him that uh, that principle of permanency. Number two. I I want to share with him truth, the truth of God's word. See, God's word is eternal, the truth of God's word. So when I begin to share the principles of Scripture, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the moral law of Scripture, that's permanent. I've given him something permanent that will be with him for this life and the life to come. It's permanent. It's not like the G.I. Joe or the laser tag or whatever else that's going to be gone in a few weeks. This is permanent. And then thirdly, I want to share with him the faith. I want him to know my faith. I want him to see my faith. And I want to share the truth of my faith. 
that this is the gospel, that Jesus Christ loves you, that he is the Lord of the world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he came to this earth and he dwelt here as it was prophesied he would. And when he lived here, he was perfect and sinless. He was God in the flesh, yet he died on a cross and he took our sins upon the cross and they were nailed to the cross. And not only that, after he died, three days later, he rose again. And it's because he has conquered sin and death that you can have salvation. And I want you to have that gift because it's eternal and it's permanent and no one can ever take it away from you. And if I don't share that truth, if I don't communicate that principle, then I am to be pitied as a father because it's the perma- one of the few permanent things in life that I can give him and I can give her. Those are the things that are eternal, that are permanent. What are you investing your life in today? They're very simple. If you need help, we would love to equip you and help you with that process. But here's the last question. Have you received that permanent gift? Have you received the principle that Emmanuel, God came to earth in the flesh, and that God is with us Have you received the principle that God has extended grace and said, whoever would believe in me and transfer their trust from what they could do to how they think things should be, how they think God ought to act, what God should do. This is how it ought to be to give up all that and say, I just realize I'm in desperate need. I'm lost and I need forgiveness. I need you, God. Forgive me. Come into my life. And make that commitment to let go of the ifs. God, if you do this, then I'll believe. God, if you do this, then I'll follow. God, if you do this or if you show me this, then I will. To let go of the ifs. And let go of the ifs and just say, God, I trust. I believe. It's the beauty of Judency, of her story. I can't do it. I need someone from the outside to come and to take me, to provide for me. To give me hope, to give me life, to give me something permanent because I cannot do it myself and it is not, I cannot manipulate the circumstances. I cannot make it happen. I am trusting the Green family to come and take me. I don't know who they are right now, but I believe. And when the offer is made, I receive and I transfer my trust and my hope and my dreams and I am counting on them and that's where it's going to happen. Not from my own merits, not from anything I could do, but for what they are going to provide and who I believe they are. Have you received that grace? I invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, I thank you for this great promise that was given to David. And God, I thank you that, uh, Lord, it's not about what we could accomplish or what we could ever do, but it's about what you've already done. So this Christmas season, Lord, we invite you to... To come into our lives. We, we recognize our need. We recognize that we are sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. We believe that you are here and that you have the power to save us. That you are the God of the universe. That you are the eternal and permanent King of kings and Lord of lords. The author of our salvation. And Lord, we also commit to you by faith, Lord, to take our lives and save us. Lord, we ask you to do that this day. If there's one that hasn't done that, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, they would make that commitment. That they would come professing their faith. They would take that step. They wouldn't wait until other circumstances occur or something else happens. 
Lord, that they would take that step today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.